Welcome to Live with Domri Podcast here at Domri Healthy and Fit, where we bring you incredible episodes that will leave you inspired and always wanting to come back for more. Today's amazing guest is Kimberly Chioza Bridges. She is an inspiring author and currently working on a table book, and that's all I'm going to give you. Stay tuned to see what is coming up next to bring Kimberly on with us here at Live with Domri. Welcome, Kimberly, to Live with Marie. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. I was telling everybody that we have been Instagram friends for over a year now and following your story and your beautiful Instagram page of hearts. And I don't know how you find them, but they're incredible. And all of the posts that you do. And um, let's announce to the, if you'd like to announce to the world, you are my sister because of? Multiple sclerosis. Yes. We are MS sisters forever. So Kimberly, I found her Instagram. Or maybe you found me. I don't remember. But we found each other and we've been sharing our stories along the way. So Kimberly's here today to tell us what her life is like living with multiple sclerosis and still doing an amazing job and looking absolutely fabulous at it. Thank you. Thank You're you. so welcome. Yes. Um, you know, that's the funny thing about having MS is people um, tend to think, Nothing's wrong because you look so good and uh, you carry on even in spite of it. Um, but I, I think that MS, you know, is a part of us, obviously, but it really doesn't have to define our entire lives. Um, but it's through MS that I really started finding those heart shapes that you're talking about. And it's how I came to really start writing my book, The Heartistry Project. I love that. Can you repeat that again so everyone can hear it? Yes, it's called The Heartistry Project. It's a tapestry of love found in unexpected places. Oh, I love that. Uh, so it's really heartistry, like a tapestry of love. And uh, it's all these gorgeous heart-shaped images. But it's really a lot more than that because it's a healing journey. It's a healing journey that I've been on, and it's inspiration for other people. I'm dedicating the book to people that have invisible illnesses like MS, mm -hmm. um, but also anybody that's dealing with any kind of pain or loss or anything in private in their lives. Um, you know, they're having a hard time and they're struggling. And mm -hmm. we're all going to come to know suffering in this lifetime in some way, shape, or form. And so this little scavenger hunt for hearts uh, turned into kind of a, a rescue mission for myself and it was a ladder for me to climb out of some really dark days where I was feeling despair and I was feeling sad and I was feeling some grief and I was kind of in a dark place and um, the, how I started finding these hearts is I was just putting on makeup one day mm -hmm. and I looked down and it looked like a heart shape Oh my gosh, did you take a photo of that? I did. I took a photo of that. And the funny thing is now, since I have all of these really incredible images, I go back to that image and it really doesn't even look like a heart that much. But it did to me in that moment. And, and that set the journey for this book that you're creating. Yes. 
That's yeah. fabulous. It was like you just looked down. It was in your makeup. And it was yeah. your gift from angels. However you spiritually want to think of it. It could be from God, from angels, from past loved ones that we've lost along the way. And we've all felt that pain. But someone gave you a heart that day. Because yeah. they knew you needed it. And you took that and you're creating this absolutely amazing book. Well, it gave me hope, and it sounds strange to say that something like that could be a springboard into this place of hope, but um, it did. It gave me this hope, and I thought, you know, uh, and I've never been one to wallow anyway. I like to pick myself up and carry on, but I thought, I have to, I have to get on with things, and I can't... Uh, can't reside in this space any longer and I need to be looking for the good and looking for love and I decided to start looking for heart shapes and amazingly they started appearing everywhere and I started posting them to Facebook at the time mm -hmm. and I was amazed by how much it caught on and people started sharing hearts with me they couldn't wait they were so excited that they would find a heart image in something. And so all of these photos started pouring in. And I just started doing it on Facebook where mm -hmm. I would do it for the month of February, since that's Valentine's Day. And I would post a heart every day. And from there, it just kind of grew. And interestingly, what happened along the way, I had always wanted to write a book. I've always been a writer. So you were a journalist at one point in time, a writer in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that before you go to wanting to write the book so everyone listening yeah. can get that little bit of a background from you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I really just, I always wrote, even from the time I was little, um, I just loved to read. Books were my passion. And when I was young, I was kind of a nerdy kid. Uh, <laughs> I was even a little bully, like picked on in school. Oh, and me too. You were too. I think a lot of us have that experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just found that I loved to get lost in stories and in books and create like this little world. And so I would write stories and I would um, come up with creative things. And so it was always a passion of mine. And uh, I never really did anything formally in a career with writing, uh, but I was a theater major, and then I ended up uh, majoring in psychology. So I did psychology and theater, and all very creative, and, and writing is a big part of all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but this will be the first time that I will be published as, a, as an author with this book. I love that. But your work has been published because that was your career. So you have that beautiful gift with that resides within you that you were born with that you just absolutely love and want to be able to share that with the world. And that's a gift within itself um, yeah. that you were able to do that. And now you're giving that gift of love and hope and you know, looking forward to compassion with people being able to see all these amazing hearts. And I do have to say, if you're not following Kimberly right now, you need to either follow her on Facebook or follow her on her Instagram. And it is incredible. The hearts that she finds, I, I, I'm mesmerized with 
oh my gosh, look at that. And it's just absolutely, it's beautiful. And I believe it belongs in every household in the world. So when this book comes out, you know it's going to be on my story. And I'm going to be pushing this book out to the world. <laughs> so I'm excited for this book. Thank you. I'm excited too. It's really been a labor of love. And it's uh, really grown through the years. And the interesting thing is, I just, you know, what started as me finding these heart images I, I realized that my journey was a story that kind of went with these heart images. And as I was finding my way through the darkness, I had these revelations of how, how can we find our way through these dark days when we're dealing with difficult times. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the story is all about. Is I love about that. How to do that. And we're all on this journey. We're all in these physical bodies. Uh, but I feel like we have these spirits that reside inside of us, and it's really about the journey of that. It's about the evolution of uh, We lost a little bit of audio. If you can hear me, I am going to turn up mine, but your audio just went, um, can't hear you. Oh, oh, there you go. That's better. Okay. It well, went completely. Ah, that happens all the time. Okay. Yeah. So the blank in the uh, podcast that's being recorded is a phone call coming in. And you know what? Or it was one of your angels sending that phone call in. You never know. I love that. You never know. Um, I love that you say that, you know, it was you finding your way through the darkness because you don't have to have multiple sclerosis to feel like what we're feeling. You don't have to have an autoimmune disease. You could be the healthiest person ever, but we all face a darkness at one point in time in our life. And it is how we choose to look at it is how it's going to bring that road of moving forward in self-discovery and you were able to find it through the loving beautiful hearts that you have found and that's just a gift within itself when you recognized it you understood it and now you're turning it into a labor of love and i think if we all took that example um from what you have done and what many writers and poets and authors have done and um, writing that story of life in real life, not fictional, you're able to bring that compassion and how you felt the darkness, but you also found the light. And then reading that story will impact so many people across the world. And if one book sold saves a life, you did your job and you got paid. And, you know, getting paid is great. Selling books is great. I look at it like if I can send a book out in the mail and I'm just doing it because that's what I'm Domery Healthy and Fit is all about, is sharing my pain and my darkness and my rawness, which is what you are going to do with this book, is going to save a life. And you may save 10,000. You may save a million. But just your journey alone is the most precious gift you can give to the world. 
Well, it's really interesting because when I started writing this book, I didn't want to talk about myself. I didn't want to talk about my journey. I just wanted to make a really beautiful coffee table style book that had beautiful photographs and some of my writing, but I just didn't really want to make it personal. Mm -hmm. And uh, as I was writing, I realized that the pictures are gorgeous, the images are amazing, but it's really the story that people need and want, and that's what can really transform lives. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it is beautiful. I mean, the images are gorgeous, but there's a real story there, um, and I think that it will help people who are going through, like you said, any type of adversity in their life. Um, but you don't even have to be going through an adversity. I mean, it is a beautiful, inspiring book for all of us, but we will all come to have some type of hardship in our life, mm -hmm. and it's good to know that there's love everywhere, there even is. in the darkest of places. There's that is so true. I remember thinking um, there was a photo shoot I had to do, and they wanted me to go into this cave, and no one went in before me. And I'm like, "You want me to go in there? Like, what? Oh my God, what's in there?" And it was more the fact of like looking into the darkness, kind of a shoot, and then coming out. And I don't know why I just thought of that, but it's a really old photo shoot. But it's the fear that we need to acknowledge to be able to find the grace and the hope to move forward because even when we're born we're born with such light and beauty that we're not fearful we're crying as a baby because we have to we're hungry or we have a wet diaper or we have a bellyache or we got a burp we don't learn fear until we're about two and three and four years old but if we can embrace a child with a gift like this book of images of beautiful hearts and images of light and inspiration and teach them not to fear the darkness and teach them what could be in the darkness can bring so much hope to the world at such a young age. So I truly believe your book is going to not just reach our age group or the 20 year olds or the woman that is in love with hearts and she wants her wedding to be hearts everywhere and your book becomes a gift to everybody at the tables. Like oh, this I truly, I, really, you need to market it to like wedding planners and market it to florists and get it to where everyone can be because these hearts are not just a heart. These hearts are a shadow of a hand on a door that created another heart to a stone, to a floral, a cloud. A cloud. Yeah. It's love is surrounding us, and you discovered it through finding the hearts. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you were talking about that, um, two of the most important chapters in my book one is broken. And the one that follows that chapter is hopeful. Aww. And I have beautiful images of uh, broken hearts, you know, hearts that are broken, but they're still a heart shape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to go through that journey. We have to kind of be split open, cracked open. And then the way that we get through that is hope. Hope is the springboard that propels us forward. 
and can you say uh, that again that's a very important phrase that you just said hope is the springboard that propels us forward can yes. you just can you just say that again so the audience can really yeah. hear that um, hope is the springboard that propels us forward that's beautiful that's yeah, absolutely beautiful I'm sorry I didn't hear your last one hope is infectious it travels and I think it travels from heart to heart you know we're all connected with these tendrils of hope uh, going through our heart and and we help each other have that I mean this book really was my way you know one girl's way of finding her way out of enormous suffering um, to kind of get to the other side of that and so what I found is how can we alleviate our pain and our suffering? And really the best way to do that is to help others alleviate theirs. It's so true. It's so, so true. And I never realized that either, Kimberly. And um, we all think that we can write a book or we can't write a book or we don't have time to write a book or we don't have time to tell our story. But every when you think of the world every movie that has ever been an actual life hit story is because it was a true story from the beginning yes it was a true story from the beginning of hope and perseverance and determination and failure and fear and depression but that's what makes us human right so i love that you said that about hope it's because we all need hope well and i've been very scared to share my story i mean if you want to back can you, up can you about... explain why i was actually just going to ask you what was your greatest struggle um living with ms prior to ms and living with it today so go ahead and share that with us well um I feel like I've had uh, maybe a few more struggles than many people <laughs> throughout my life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a little bit of a tumultuous childhood. My parents were divorced and, and I lived with separate parents at different points in time and, and different step parents and step families and uh, kind of went through a lot with that. Um, and that kind of went into my young adult life. Um, so I had some of that, uh, and even when I went to college, you know, I was not a very good student in high school. I really barely graduated high school and I was just very lost and I was lost because of my family life. Uh, I was really struggling and a lot of people did not believe that I should even go to college. They thought you're going to fail. You're going to drop out. You're not going to do well. And, um, I decided in that moment that I was going to prove them wrong. And I love that you did. Okay, <laughs> right. keep going. So I went to college and I ended up uh, graduating cum laude honors. Congratulations. And I made straight A's honors throughout college. Because um, ah. I really wanted to prove myself. It wasn't that I wasn't capable. It's just that I wasn't in the right environment at the mm -hmm. time to do that. And I had, you know, other priorities um, so that really, I've always had this like fighter type of, um, fight or flight. 
I will overcome things. Mm -hmm. And so I think going into MS, um, it was such a shock for me when I had my first signs of MS. It was my vision in my right eye. I think it's most of us. We we lose our vision first. Yes. I think that's very Mm -hmm. common. Optic neuritis. Yep. And... I just didn't want to believe it. So uh, my my older sister has MS too. And she had already been diagnosed with MS at the time. And when the doctor said, well, you have one lesion on your optic nerve, but you don't have any others from my MRI. So he said, we can either monitor you every year or we can put you on medication. And he said, I think going on medication would be good because your sister has MS, but I did not want to believe it. And so, and I think a lot of people, when they hear a diagnosis like that, it's so hard to think of yourself in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that time in life, I was a, a workout fanatic. I had a business where I was training people. I was teaching fitness classes. I was super fit. It just did not compute with me that I could possibly have MS, even though my sister had it. And so I really went into a space of denial. Which most and, MS, most people being diagnosed with any disease, especially MS, we, they go into denial. But yes. Yeah. And I actually write about denial because I don't think denial is a bad thing. I think denial mm-hmm. is really necessary. It kind of cushions you. It kind of protects you for a little bit so that you can uh, grasp whatever it is that's happening to you. Exactly. Uh, At some point, you do have to come to terms with it, Um, but I really didn't want to. I I was like, nope, I'm just going to carry on with my life, and I'm just going to act like I don't have MS. And I did that for a few years, and then it turned out that I had um, a couple more lesions, because it kept progressing the disease kept progressing right. did you find that you were you were falling into um serotonin because in the back of your mind you heard ms even though you were not accepting it that that voice was still deep deep in like a locked room kind of of your brain and as the disease progresses we start to lose um voice, being able to speak, being able to walk, being able to hold a cup. Um, Sometimes we go into tremors, we get completely paralyzed, and we don't know when it's going to come, and we don't know how long it's going to last. And with you knowing your sister had MS, did you think in the back of your mind, this is actually true, and now um, things are happening to me? What was the next thing that you noticed went wrong with you after you were losing your eyesight but you didn't want to go on the medication? You know, I I didn't uh, notice a lot. I mean, I was fortunate that uh, I really wasn't having a lot of issues. Okay. Uh, but I also started doing acupuncture. Mm-hmm. I started eating really healthy and taking more supplements and doing things like that. So I think all of that did help me initially. Um, what I know now, though, is that MS was still there in the background, and it was progressing. Uh, it just, for, in my case, it was so little by little mm-hmm. that I could keep carrying on and just kind of ignore it. 
Um, so I would say fatigue for me became the next thing. Like I was just so tired. Um, and I did end up going on a medication. I went on an interferon and I, my husband would give me a shot once a week for four years. Uh, and the medication made me very tired. And at the time I was in pharmaceutical sales. So I was in sales and I had just started my career and the environment that I was in, I didn't think felt safe enough to share with them that I had MS. MS. Mm -hmm. Because so you thought maybe they out. wouldn't give you a bigger job or move you forward and progress because they're like, she has a mess. She's not, she's going to deteriorate. Right? right. Yeah. And so once again, I went to that space of these people are not going to think that I'm capable. And so I am going to not share this. And I mean, it worked to my benefit in a way because I pushed myself even harder to see more doctors, to get more business. And I was promoted into upper management in the company. And I was there for eight years and I never breathed a word that I had in MS. Mm. Um, I just dealt with it on my own in the background. Um, and I did start to have more issues especially with like heat intolerance mm. and I live in Florida and I had an outside sales job where I was in and out of the car all day in the heat. Uh, it was brutal. Yeah. The heat is a nightmare for us. Can we like tell everybody what that is? So heat, heat and cold intolerance is horrible to someone living with multiple sclerosis, even fibromyalgia and lupus. It kind of affects us all in the same way, but with MS, if the room is like overheating, we can go put ourselves into a complete flare of tremors, losing our eyesight or speech and like really knock us out. Or we can put ourselves, if it's extremely cold and our body temp cannot regulate and our fun little white blood cells eating at our brain and doing what they're not supposed to be doing, make it worse. It exact. I can't, I can't say the word exacerbates, exacerbates, exacerbates. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a part of like trying to retrieve information from our brain. So you're living in Florida with multiple sclerosis. You need to be in a temperature around 75 or less, or less Yeah. to be comfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate the past few years, we've been able to spend the summers in the mountains in North Carolina. Aww. And that's why we started going there, mm -hmm. uh, is so that I can get out of the heat in summer because it's just it's so debilitating for me, and uh, being in the mountains is just wonderful. I feel so much better, and I'm able to do more. I love that. I love it too. I love the mountains though. Um, but yeah, so I was in pharmaceutical sales. I never said anything about MS, and I just kept carrying on. I did decide to stop the medication at a certain point because of the side effects. And I just decided that I was gonna eat healthy and do all the things. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I ended up having a pretty bad relapse um, with my hand that involved my hand, um, which was really scary. And of course they recommended that I go back on medication and I had to do high-dose steroids. I've done those a few times. Um, and for Me anybody too. that doesn't know, you, when you do high-dose steroids, they really give you 
a very strong dose of steroids, the strongest that you can have as a human being intravenously. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to bring down the inflammation in your body and hopefully uh, help whatever it is that is uh, you're flared. experiencing. Yeah, whatever you're, we're experiencing. Yes, I've had that many times and it has helped, but there's only so much a body can take of steroids. Yeah. And there's. I actually wish I'd never done it. <laughs> Well, you know, I I wish I'd never done a lot of things as well, living with MS. Um, I wish I got diagnosed sooner. I I have spoken to so many people around the world, and I was just the one that wasn't being diagnosed. I was the one being told, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Your blood work's amazing. You look fine. You look great. Go on a vacation. Here's some Prozac. How about some Xanax? How about some Zoloft? If that's not working, we'll increase that. And we'll double you up on both of them. And then I was told, um, yeah, there's really nothing wrong with you, Domery. I think you need to see a psychiatrist. When you, and like, as you know, when we are in pain and we are feeling this pain and we can't move our hand and we're like, I you're paralyzed or you can't speak or it feels like someone's choking you or the bear hug you've experienced most of these um i haven't ever experienced the ms hug i've heard about it oh it's horrible it's the worst it literally feels like a giant grizzly bear is coming up behind you and crushing your rib cage and and you go into panic mode. And the one thing that I've learned over the years is kind of like going into the plunge ice baths that are really popular right now. I did it last week for my birthday. I went from a hot room, drank lots of water, went into the plunge bath. And the one thing that I learned, which is very, very important, everyone listening to this, um, when you have a bear hug or you're experiencing any MS tremors, any MS side effects or life in general when you're having a panic attack, the one thing we do is we hold our breath. We're scared and we hold our breath. Well, that's going to shut down even more and trigger even more reaction. The one thing that I learned from the most amazing therapist this weekend at the spa montage, I have to give him kudos. I forgot your name, but spa montage um, was when you go into something cold or something super hot, it's the breathing mechanism and it's like super fast because all of a sudden your brain is saying, oh, I'm getting oxygen. I'm okay. I'm okay. But we're not taught that. I just learned that. Now, granted, I did that giving birth, but no one ever told me to keep doing that when I was having attacks. So. And, but when you really think about it and you actually go, it's like, oh my God, the brain is getting flooded with blood and oxygen. And then you start to like feel your whole arm like tingling and moving. And if all of us learned that one lesson in life to deal with extreme anxiety that makes us go like this, And you're shutting down that oxygen pathway to the brain and to the lungs and to the heart. We're going to put ourselves in a really bad spell. And I can guarantee you, I'm probably the reason why I put myself into many bad episodes. Because of that panic attack. Yeah. I I think you're spot on about breathing. 
uh, it sounds so basic, right? We're not taught how to breathe correctly, mm-hmm. and I actually think that should be taught in school. I think we should teach a lot of things differently in school, but that's a whole nother podcast. We could do a whole nother podcast on that one. Let's write that one down. <laughs> right, right. So you learned, you learned what your triggers were, and then you were managing. You went on the interferon drugs. You decided, I don't want to do that anymore. You decided to go holistic like me. But I'm not 100% holistic. Are you 100% holistic? No. What happened was I had that relapse with my hand. And uh, the doctor wanted me to go back on medication. And so at that point, I went back on, or no, I switched to Copaxone. And mm -hmm. Copaxone was terrible for me. I had to give myself shots daily. And the shots were very, very, very painful. Um, I would end up with like, welts all over my body wherever I injected the shot Mm -hmm. and then I ended up having an allergic reaction to it so I had to come off of it and at that point I decided to go back on interferons because that was the what I knew so I was on interferons again for another three years and again I decided to go off of them um, how did it make you feel um, because your body was already telling you that you did not do well on interferons in the early stages and then you went back on them and you were not doing well did you second guess yourself what should I be doing or did you just listen to the doctor and the doctor saying you need to stay on it you need to stay on it I really just didn't know what to do I just thought um, I have to do something and at that time you know there weren't as many medications out. I mean, they were starting to come out with some of the pills and different mm-hmm. things, but I thought, well, at least I know what this medication is going to do to me. Even if I don't feel good, even if I don't feel great, at least I know. Yeah. And with something else, I wouldn't know. And so uh, that's what I did. And then I came off of it again. Um, and I feel like this is such a long story, but in 2017, I was on my way to a workout class. I was on my way to Pilates. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a rush. And as you know, with MS, um, one of the things that happens is that your nerve signals aren't communicating fast enough. To the and, body. To the yeah. to, to what we, the tree, like our limbs and everything is a tree. Right. And so if you're nerve is not responding fast enough and it doesn't tell your foot to move or or something really small just a little muscle if something is off it's a real dangerous situation and I ended up tripping I hit my foot really hard on a mm-hmm. curb and I I was catapulted to the ground I mean it was really dramatic um, and I shattered my foot my foot broke oh. terribly but now I have screws in my foot. I had to have surgery. Um, and it was very, very, very painful. And it took a long time to recover from. Uh, I don't think my foot will ever be the same. Uh, but I am calling that my wake-up call. <laughs> okay. That, so you saw this. You, you found your son through the clouds of that day. You broke yeah. your foot. You shattered it because of the MS. So you got your wake up call. Take it from there. I did because I was I was still even though all these years living with MS, I was still in denial about it. And 
breaking my foot caused me to stop. I could not, literally could not get out of bed. I was totally stuck in bed for months, mm. um, unable to move. I was in a lot of pain. But I did have to sit there and realize, okay, this is really happening to me, and I really need to deal with it. And so I found my doctor through that, Dr. Boster. Um, he's I like that name, Dr. Boster. Dr. Aaron Boster. He has a YouTube channel with many, many oh. videos. He's quite, quite the rock star neurologist, I have to say. Um, and so I found these videos of him while I was sitting there with my foot broken and a lot of things started to click because he started to talk about brain atrophy and about black holes. Well, nobody had ever talked to me before about brain atrophy or black holes. Mm -hmm. And he said, these are things you need to ask your neurologist. So I went to my neurologist and I said, do I have black holes in my brain do I have brain atrophy and sure enough you did I did and nobody had ever discussed this with me before yeah because all these okay I'm not I'm gonna have to watch what I say right now <laughs> when we're diagnosed with MS we're given like the rundown of these are the medications you can take. This is what's going to happen. You're at the stage of relapsing, remitting, or secondary progressive, or you're at the final stages, which... It is very difficult on the person living with the disease, and it is extremely difficult on the family watching someone deteriorate. But we are not told the black holes. We are not told that the white lesions can get worse. We are not told that these lesions on this side of the brain will affect this part of your body. The lesions that are over here are going to affect this part of your speech or your memory. We're just told we have MS. So there needs to be so much more information in our neurologists and you found a great one, and I finally found a great one. And she sits with me for an hour, sometimes two, just answering every question there is. And I know not every doctor can do that. But it sounds like your doctor finally was like, yes, there are black holes, Kimberly. So when you oh. heard you had black holes, and I'm you shocked. found out you had more lesions that were going to take shocked. you down. I was shocked, honestly. Every year that I got my MRIs, they would just say, you don't have any new lesions, so you're good. And I would say, oh, great, awesome. And I thought, I'm great, I don't have any new lesions. Well, guess what? I do have, I have about 30 lesions and I have spinal cord lesions, which spine, they don't, nobody tells you that either. Nope. But spinal cord lesions lead to more disability. Which puts uh, you into a wheelchair. Yes, yes. And so I was really shocked at how much and how extensive the damage was. I didn't know that I had black holes in my brain. And I also didn't know that my brain was atrophying at a faster rate than the average person. You know, everybody's brain atrophies as they get older, but with MS, you're on a fast path for that. So anyhow, um, fast forward, I hunted this doctor down, Dr. Boster. He's in Ohio. I'm in Florida. 
and he was in the process of opening up an MS center in Ohio. It wasn't even open yet, and I was trying to find him. But the minute that center opened, I made an appointment and I flew to see him. And I flew to see him during the pandemic. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was really. So this is within the last two years. 2020, I flew to see him. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm really intrigued. Yeah, and it was very bizarre, just the whole experience, because I was the only, one of the only people on the plane, and, you know, we were wearing masks, and that was also when a lot of the riots were happening, and when I got to Ohio, that was a major place for a lot of the riots, and so there were, uh, the National Guard was there, places were mm. boarded up. And I did it by myself. I don't know why, but I flew there by myself. And it was just really surreal. Um, but I went to see Dr. Boster, and he was amazing. He actually spent four hours with me Aww. because he knew that I had flown to see him from Florida. Now, he went to see other patients and came back in the room. But we talked a lot, and he was the first doctor that ever pulled up my, the images of my brain and spinal cord. And he walked me through, and it was really hard to see. I mean, it's very hard to see. Because even when you have MS, I feel like you don't, you just don't comprehend. You, you can't, you just can't comprehend what's going on in your brain and spinal cord. And he showed me and he said, this lesion on your neck is probably what affected your hand. I mean, he really walked me through it. And so he really wanted me to go on, um, you know, a very good medication for MS. And so uh, I was very reluctant because <laughs> I really... Well, you, know, you have already experienced early, went off, went back on, went off, and now you're being told to go back on again. Yeah, and he wanted me to go on um, a stronger medication. Mm -hmm. um, and so I told him I would, and I planned to do the Ocrevus, the infusions. Um, but when I got back to Orlando, uh, right around that time, my mom became very ill. Oh. And um, yeah, so all of my focus went to being with her. She was in the hospital, and I was with her every day for two months. I had to help make really difficult decisions about end of life. And she ended up ultimately dying. Um, I'm sorry. And so I just couldn't handle anything else at that point. I couldn't handle um, facing going on that medication at the time. It just felt like too much. I didn't think I could handle it. And that was grief like I've never known before. Like, I wasn't prepared for that. You can't be prepared for that. <laughs> it's unlike anything else. Um, it was just shocking. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. I have to say, though, that I feel like all of these things that have happened only added more to my story and my book and my writing. As hard as that is, um, I don't know why I've been given these you know, lessons in life, but I really feel that it is to share with others and help them through. I just got the goosebumps. I'm like, I got goosebumps everywhere. Yeah. And you're right, Kimberly, you are so right. You know, we lose loved ones 
and we don't know how to deal with it and we all deal with it in different ways and then we put ourselves on the back burner and as a mother as a wife as a business entrepreneur person you're trying to do your best and 100 percent all the time right right and now you're you know you have been explained what the lesions look like that they get they get deeper and deeper and deeper until the point of it reaches the the connection of and the easiest way to explain it is when you're most people have an iPhone if you don't have an iPhone you got a charger and the charger starts to break and the charger starts to break at the end and you see all these wires okay well that is our brain the wire has been broken. It has gotten to the final part where it's completely zipped. And that is the black holes, the white lesions, the snowflakes. We we have a million things of how we call the, the lesions in our brain. But here you are being faced with that and being told for the first time. And then you're dealing with your mom and you put your mom first. But in in your body itself and in your brain, your mess is flaring and it's eating away even more at your poor brain because you don't have time to care for you. And that's so difficult. I honestly think, though, I think that when we really, if it comes down to when we do something with love, when we face something with love and we do put ourselves aside to care for a loved one or somebody I almost felt like I had a layer of protection around me Mm -hmm. I really do like I had a layer of protection protecting me so that I could withstand that and I could go through it and I could be there for her Um, and I'm so thankful that I didn't have you know anything really uh, triggering attack yeah yeah and I do feel that way I feel like God was protecting me um, so that I could do what I had to do for my mom. I know that, you know, the disease is still progressing in the background. And that's what my doctor said. You know, he was just so upset because he's, he was so upset, first of all, that my mom passed away and everything. But he also was like, we really have to get you on medication. And I said, I just can't face that right now. Um, I know that I need to do it. I can't face it right now. And so he and I were going around and around for the past, you know, year and a half, almost two years. And finally, I decided to go on Mavenclad. And Mavenclad is a form of chemotherapy, which when I say those words, um, well, I haven't even said that out loud. (laughs) That seems... um, I have not heard of that new one yet. Yeah, it seems a little strange for me to say because I just never thought I would be doing something like that. But it's a really unique treatment. You take, um, when I'm already finished with it for the year, you take uh, 10 days worth of pills Mm -hmm. over two month period. You take, um, I took six pills the first week. I waited a month and then I took six pills the second month. And now I'm like in week six, I think. Okay. Um, what happens is it slowly goes in and wipes out a portion of your immune system. So your B and T cells. And then your immune system is supposed to regenerate and make new cells. And as that process happens, the new cells hopefully will behave nicer. 
and they won't. They're brand new. Up. They should behave well. <laughs> yes. We hope. Yeah. So it's a two-year treatment. I'll have to repeat this process next year. Um, but so far, I've been doing okay over the Great. past six weeks. And I'm really hopeful. And it also gives me peace of mind to know that I actually am taking control and doing something about my disease and hopefully halting it in its tracks. I love that. I love that you you just said halting it. Because we can't get rid of it. It's not curable. It's not curable. But we can do and take actions to put it at a halt. Now, unfortunately, it's to slow it down. And unfortunately, you know, life does trigger MS flares. Food triggers MS flares. Certain medications trigger MS flares. And when I'm saying flare, I'm I'm talking about shutting us down, like, and mm-hmm. and really affecting us. Um, me getting COVID on vacation. Right. I was there. I got there for two days. I did two photo shoots, and I was feeling tired and exhausted and thinking, oh, it's just the flight. I'm tired. It's a different time thing, whatever. I've been running around. And then I got COVID and it threw me, as you saw on my Instagram, I posted everything and I, I, I couldn't move. I was paralyzed again. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even get myself out of the bed to go to the bathroom and I couldn't breathe. And it, I, with my asthma, it really shut me down. So Living with MS and the way our white blood cells work, as you said, you're hoping the new ones will behave. Yeah. And um, I really want to talk to you on the other side of this about that new medication. And um, I didn't think I was going to recover. And I went into a very dark space again while I was there quarantined and trying to heal and my husband was scared. My kids were scared. Um, they had to get me a walker. I, you know, soiled the bed. I couldn't, like, I couldn't, I couldn't speak fast enough and someone get to me in time. And this is how destructive this disease is. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because now you're talking about this great new medicine and I'm really intrigued about it and want to know even more about it because you're doing well and you look amazing, which is what we all say. You look amazing. Um, right, right. Right. But you truly do. And you have so much energy and moving forward. And, you know, we've talked on the side outside of a podcast and you're just, you've got this bright light around you. And if that is a new medication that the world really needs to hear about, then I would love to do another podcast about that. But I really, truly hope that it helps you, and I cannot wait to hear how you are doing. Oh, Dr. Boster, what does it say? Doesn't have an Instagram. Does he have an Instagram? Somebody wants to know. He does not have an Instagram, which is surprising. He has Facebook, and he has a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, And I think he is on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know, but uh, I really highly uh, recommend his YouTube videos. He's so passionate about treating MS patients. Um, He's just amazing. And I'm really, I feel like I was supposed to find my way to him. And I really don't think I would have if I had not broken my foot 
and ended up in that space. Um, I think that that all happened for a reason. I did not like that. I mean, I would rather not have had that be the, uh, you know, event that, that propelled me to see him. But, um, but I do think it was, it was meant to be. And I needed a doctor who was going to be really straightforward with me. He didn't sugarcoat anything. And he said to me, you know, I know you think you're doing fine. You're living your life and you're having some issues from MS, but you're, you're rocking it. You're, you're getting on with things. He said, but I need you to think about your 65 year old self. I need you to think about yourself 20 years from now. I need you to think about, um, what her life is like. And he said, if she were here right now, she would be so upset with you for not taking a medication because she is in a wheelchair. She is not walking. She is not able to swallow. She's not going to the bathroom on her own. I mean, I was crying hearing all of this. It's a very hard thing to hear. Um, but that's really what got me to do the medication because I know he's right. Cause mm -hmm. I've had little by little losses. I mean, just all kinds of things, you know, I can't run anymore. I can't wear heels anymore. And I used to love my heels, you know, and I I'm, I'm not giving those up. I, I refuse. I would refuse, but I physically cannot lift my foot. Well, you shattered your foot. Yeah. Now I really can't. Yeah. <laughs> really but before that I couldn't, but now I really can't. Um, and just little things like that. I know that sounds silly to somebody. Oh, big deal. You can't wear heels. It really is. A it big is a big deal. deal. It is a big deal. It, it, it is part of your identity. It's something, the whole thing is, it's something that you've done your whole life. Mm -hmm. And maybe you, you took it for granted. I mean, we all take walking for granted. We take feeling, like sensation is different for me now in my left hand. Things feel, how I experience the world is very different. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, it's a little loss. It's a little grief. And we all have to grieve continuously with MS and with things like that. We always have to face another loss. We have to face something else to, to grieve about ourselves. Exactly. And bringing it back to the Heartistry Project, that was really the whole thing. Is like, what do we do when we are faced with these little losses and this grief? We have to have hope and we have to have a way through that. Exactly. And like you said, it brought you to your destination, your journey of this amazing book and yeah. <laughs> you were able to write about your life through this book through the heart story through everything that you've gone through I, I can't believe you flew by yourself to Ohio in the middle of COVID to meet him but God was putting you on that path or your angels were putting you on that path or the 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 the, the world energy of healing was putting you on that path to find him. And I believe you're going to get flooded with DMs on what is the medication, what is his name, and how do I get in touch with this doctor? Because, I mean, I've heard of the cancer treatments done before, and I know Summer Blair went through something completely different, but I have never heard of the pill form before. And... I really hope and pray that this truly works for you and puts you and sets you up for when you are 65 and you're looking back at this point in time 
when you decided to do the medication that it did work and you are moving forward and you are touring the world and now you're at the point where you're personally handing these books to people that truly need to find that hope and that heart that you found many years ago that has led you down this beautiful path of love, destruction, passion, fear, hope, everything that comes along with life in general. But you you found it, Kimberly. You found it. And you're sharing it with the world. And once again, I, I have to praise you for really putting that on paper, but turning it into such a beautiful book. I cannot wait till it comes out. I really, really can't. Thank you. Well, and you said it beautifully, too, because really what began as kind of a little scavenger hunt for hearts um, became a, a different journey. It, it became about finding meaning and suffering. And I really think that is the task that we all have. We have to give meaning to our suffering because otherwise, what would be the point? <laughs> right. And That's we have very to have true. Some fun along the way. We yeah. gotta have fun. I know. Yeah. I make I make fun of myself all the time because I I I'm I'm bumping into walls constantly. I'm constantly hitting stuff or closing my car door on my chin or on my cheek or I, because of our balance and everything that happens. But within that laughter fun of what we most of us MS warriors do, and we joke it off like, yeah, it's just it's just the MS. Um, within that, we have to truly find what is fun for us. And you found searching the world for hearts yeah. in every form possible. And, you know, I I found within mine was building Domery Healthy and Fit and being able to reach out to warriors around the world that I would never be able to meet. And I've used this incredible tool of Facebook and Instagram to do it. And that's, it, it's work, but it's my fun. It's my joy. It's. Well, and I love that you're doing it. I thank you for doing it. Uh, it's just, you're so inspiring. And, and I think I shared this with you. I think I even read a review that said this. You give permission to others. You've given me permission to share my story, to put it out there, to be vulnerable and brave. Because this is really hard for me. I am not comfortable talking about myself or my journey or my health at all. And um, But when I see you doing it and doing it so beautifully and so well and so bravely, then it really gives me permission to do that. And I just thank you for that. And I think we need more people being real and honest and opening up about these things. And I... You know, I was so ashamed of my MS for so long. I didn't want anybody to know because it made me feel like I'm going to be the sick girl. I'm going to be the girl that everybody looks at and thinks, oh, gosh, she's got something wrong with her, you know, and made me feel unworthy. And, and at, at its core, it made me feel unlovable. You know, I felt like nobody was going to like me or, you know, accept me with MS. Mm-hmm. And um, so I thank you for putting yourself out there and being so vulnerable and writing your books because it really opens up the door for all of us to do it too. Thank you so much. And I know you told me that before, but now you made me cry again. You made me (laughs) cry the first time. (laughs) 
Um, but you definitely made me cry again. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, sorry, I'm trying to like hold back my tears from like the floodgates coming I down. I said I wasn't going to cry in the podcast today. Okay, well, I'm crying. <laughs> you made me cry. Oh my goodness. Um, so they're good tears and you know uh, you started your book for one reason that is turning into compassion for the world when it's released and honesty and truth and sharing your journey I originally wrote my book as a legacy for my children never really thinking I was going to publish it but then after it was done and Robbie sat side by side with me for three months in the cafe, editing all my mistakes, editing, you know, the words that I forgot a letter to or a capital where it belonged or anything that went into it and sitting there with him and him being my firstborn after five miscarriages because of multiple sclerosis, as you read in the book, um, he just, he looked at me and he's like, mom, this needs to get out there. And, you know, Robbie has multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed at 21 years old. He completely collapsed in front of us. We thought he was having a stroke. I never in my imagine ever would have imagined my children having MS, but it does run in my family. It's on both sides of my bloodline of my mother and my father. Oh, really? And you mentioned earlier in the conversation when we first started, and I wanted to repeat that, that when you got diagnosed, your sister was already diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I know they say it's not genetic, but how can it not be? Yeah, there's definitely a genetic component. I do know that the new, uh, that the new research coming out is, uh, linking all of us to Epstein-Barr. I had yes. Epstein-Barr multiple times. And I believe almost every warrior that you ask had Epstein-Barr somewhere in their teenage life to their 20s. And that's when the disease starts to happen. Is it a chemical that went after our white blood cells? Is it something that, you know, you know went into them and made them crazy? I have no idea, but we have so much more research to do and so much more doctors that need to study. And your doctor is amazing. And I love my doctor, Dr. Chowen. And we all have the doctors that we absolutely love. But one thing I need to say before we definitely um, are done with the podcast, if your doctor is not helping you and you are not getting the answers that you need, you need to really look at yourself in the mirror and look at yourself like you are your number one business. And if your business is not running properly and performing at the state of what it should be and making money, and I don't mean making money in cash, making money by the brain working, by the heart pumping, by the lungs opening, by the limbs moving. If you are not the best CEO of you from here to the tip of your toes, and the best advocate of your health, and you're answering and you're doing what everyone else is telling you and it is not working, you need to re-figure out what is best for you. Because Just because one doctor says, this is the do-all, it is what it is, 
I, I'm not changing my opinion. That may not be the doctor for you. It may be the doctor for 20 other people, but not for you. And that is one thing that I think all of us have been trained to believe. If the doctor says it, it's true. But we have never been trained to believe if I feel it and I'm in pain and I'm describing it to you and you're telling me it's not real, how do you know it's not real? You're not living in this business. You're not living in this body. This is my home. This is where I need to be the best CEO of me and be the best advocate of me and start saying, no, you need to listen. And if you don't get your answers, find another doctor. I agree. And I also think, uh, obviously, we have to take the best care of ourselves we can. And I will say that's been one of the gifts to this MS journey is what can I do? What's within my control mm -hmm. that I can do to help myself? You know, I can drink lots of water. I can get my rest. I can take vitamins. I do yoga. I do Pilates because I really think that helps with strength and toning and everything. Um, whatever it is that, that you need. And when it comes to diet, because that's a big one for all of us. Huge for all of us. Uh, but we're all very different. And so what works for one person may not work for the next person. And I know that I've been down many paths <laughs> trying to thinking that, okay, if I just eat this and drink this and do this, then I'll be healthy. Um, and it works for a little while, right? It works it for does. a little bit. And you think, oh, I found the, the mighty grail. Well, right. no. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, one thing my doctor says is, the thing he hates worse than no hope is false hope. And he hates so many people are out there giving MS patients false hope for things. Well, if you just did this and if you just ate that, and if you just did this, then you wouldn't have MS. That's not really That's fair. That's not true. That's not fair. No. no. I agree with that. I Can you say that very loudly? I know you, you just said it. Yeah. The Dr. worst Dr. thing, Curry. the best thing is hope, credit, but, but the worst thing is false hope. So say it loudly and say his name out loud because seriously, <laughs> I think he's going to have like more phone calls coming in I today. Know, I know. He's going to be like, oh my gosh, but he already has all of that. I think he'll be laughing that, you know, I did this. But uh, anyhow, Dr. Boster says the thing he hates worse than no hope is false hope. It's so true. You don't. I had gone to him with something and I said, look, this person is doing this and this person says if I eat this diet and I do this. And he said, he, he got mad. He said, you know, I hate it when people give MS patients false hope and they lead them down a path that isn't scientifically proven. It's not, you know, we need to look at data and we need to look at what works for MS patients and what mm -hmm. we know helps them. And he has a lot of good uh, things besides medication that MS patients can be doing, but he really does hate it. And I have been down that road and I'm sure you've been down the road. I'm sure many of us that are on this have been down that road before saying, oh, I mean, I spent $6,000 with a chiropractor one time because he swore that if I did his program, it would cure your MS. Cure my MS. And I oh. wanted to believe it so desperately. I was like, okay, here's $6,000, you know, and at the time, and it still is, but that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. 
it's a lot of money. And uh, I did it because I wanted to be cured. I want to be well. And I went through all of these things. And I have to say, I'm not saying that I didn't get any benefit from it. I think I did. It just wasn't going to ever cure my MS. Yeah, there is no cure. People that are listening right now, and if you tune into this podcast or rewatch this audio video over and over again, I'm going to make it very clear. Kimberly just said it. There is no cure for MS. There is no cure. There are things that can prolong the progression of MS. There are medications that help thousands of people in the world living with MS. And when I say thousands, I mean, this was a month ago checking it, and I should have checked it today, but we're getting very close to 3.0 million. And that's living today. That's not the warriors we've lost that were diagnosed years ago or wasn't ever diagnosed until it was too late. This disease needs a cure and we need to bring awareness. So if all of you are watching this and you know someone that is suffering with MS or any autoimmune, that any part of this interview can help you through Kimberly's story, through my story, through every other MS story, send it. The forward button is right there. Send it out. They may not listen to it today or tomorrow, but all of my stories will always be on my page on IGTV. All of my stories will always be on my podcast. They will never be deleted. So there is hope, but don't believe in the false hope. There is no cure for MS. Now, I hope that the new pill that you are taking and the name of it will stop it in its tracks. It will not cure you and you will still live with what you've got. But if it stops it in its tracks, then I'm signing up because mine just keeps progressing and progressing and I just keep battling it and battling it. But... And that is, that is what scared me. You know, I, I realized I am losing my ability to walk. I mean, I am losing my ability to walk. I am losing some brain function. I'm losing some things. And, and what he said to me really did click. It's like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Whether I want to believe it or not, um, it is, it's just my journey. And so I, I have to do something and I hope this is the right thing too. I mean, it's so hard when you're making a decision about a medication and weighing, I was in such a horrible place for a long time. I was so terrified and I would read all the side effects and I'd read the forums and I would connect with people. And I was so, 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 so scared. Um, but I have to say now that I'm on the medication, I have a greater peace of mind because I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm on the path. I'm doing it. And that's the best we can do. Exactly. You are on the path of hope and sharing your journey. And that is the greatest gift of all. And your journey will save lives. This book is not only going to save lives. It is going to teach you 
how to look at life in a different light. It is going to teach you to embrace love and family. And But the most important thing, it is going to teach you to love yourself first. Absolutely. And that's what I love about this book. So let's say the name out loud again for everyone okay. to hear. It is the Heartistry Project. So you spell that heart, H-E-A-R-T-E-S-T-R-Y. So the Heartistry Project, it's a tapestry of love found in unexpected places. And then you made it into chapters, right? Yes, I have seven chapters. um, And it starts out small but mighty. I think that's how we all start, small but mighty. So it's tiny reflections of love. And then from there it goes through a journey through nourishment, what nourishes us, what do we need to thrive in this world, Um, nature, because I I feel that nature is so essential for us, for our health and well-being. And now that I spend the summers in North Carolina in the mountains, because I was always a city girl. Yes. And I never, ever would have pictured myself um, a mountain girl, but I really am. And um, nature feeds you in a really important way. And I think that it's so sad that we've gotten away from that in these concrete jungles that we live in. So nature has its own chapter in my book. I love that you have a chapter for nature. Yeah. And I think it's part of our health and well-being. Nature kind of is the tuning fork that aligns our soul with the universe. You know, we learned so many lessons, so many beautiful lessons through nature and being surrounded in nature. Um, and then, of course, my chapter was on broken. Oh, that's a tough hopeful. one. Yeah. And there's a lot of stories from people. I mean, I've had people share photos with me from all across the world and stories from all across the world that you're putting in there as well? Yes, yeah, some of them. I love that. And and what I've found is a lot of these hearts happen when somebody really needs them the most. You know, they just lost a loved one. They, you know, had some tragic event occur. Mm-hmm. And then this heart appears seemingly out of nowhere. And it's right when they needed it most. And so... It's just such a beautiful, I've just received so many beautiful stories. Besides my own story, uh, I'm not alone in this. You know, there's so many people out there finding these hard shapes and and it resonates with them. I mean, it's the single line when you break it down. It's used to convey love. So true. Time and time again, but it's so powerful. Right. How often do we do this? Yeah. (laughs) I love you. Yeah. Love you. And you're doing it in a beautiful book. I would love to be able to read it before it goes and write a review on the back of your book for you. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Don't worry. That would mean the world to me. I will absolutely do that for you because this is something that's just truly, this is something that can go into children's grade school at, you know, at a simple age of, you know, maybe fourth grade because you're talking about a couple of other things about life and dealing with the disease. But this is where our generation, the younger generation, 
and the older generation or who have written their autobiographies, their love, their passion, and shared their triumphs and their frustration and their fears with the world. This is how we teach. This is how children learn. Yes. You're going to be a part of history. You <laughs> are living history. Every time a book is made that is based on facts and life and triumph and overcoming becomes living history. Kimberly, you are now living history. Think about the lives you are going to change when this book is finished and ready to be purchased. You should be so proud of yourself and gleaming and like shouting, shouting to the rooftops. It's amazing what you're doing. And I know behind the scenes, guys, because we've talked off of um, our podcast and it's going to be amazing. Please follow Kimberly on her Instagram. Please follow her on Facebook. Please DM her about the doctor. Send her messages. Um, and just show her your love because she is a true warrior of love, spirit, family, and compassion and togetherness. And without community, we have nothing. Community and love. Well, and that's why it is a tapestry of love because there's so many people participating in it. Mm -hmm. I you love know, love that. Love is not um, isolation. Love is inclusion. Mm -hmm. Love, uh, we all need one another. And uh, we all learn how to love better from each other. Exactly. That's so true. So true. Kimberly, you have honored me so much today with coming on to our podcast in the month of March, which is Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. Please um, share it with your friends. Just like push the button and send it to everyone that follows you to watch the podcast. And if you are you watch my page, share it with someone that you know will love to have this book and listen to Kimberly's story and. We're, we're all going to be waiting. What? When's it ready? Is it ready yet? When's it ready? <laughs> it's Going. almost there. I'm it, putting some finishing touches on it, and uh, and I'm really excited about it. It's so beautiful. Like, I can't wait for you to see it. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. And keep doing what you're doing. Keep focusing on you and what your path has led you to with these beautiful hearts of hope and this beautiful tapestry that you have created from people around the world sending you these gorgeous photos you already created the web now launch it and watch your child grow yeah yeah it's time to bring the child to life bring the child to, you're gonna birth it soon it's it's gonna be like oh i birthed and then it's gonna be like you're gonna get a letter and you're going to be like, someone's going to say to you what you said to me and what made me cry on the phone and what made me cry again today. My book gave you permission to know that it's okay to not be okay. You're going to get a letter like that. 
and your book is going to save lives. And I see it in young, I see it in schools. And if it's not going to be there, I expect you to go to every school around you and make sure that book is seen in every school possible and get it out there. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you Kimberly. Thank you. You're an amazing woman. You have a beautiful, amazing aura about you and love. And I believe that is from all of the pain and suffering you went through because now you have found your hope and your journey and your passion and your pursuit of helping others. And you have created an incredible ability of moving forward on this journey of life. Thank you. You are, uh, thank you. You, an incredible gift today. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable. And thank you for, thank you for being you. It's not easy to be vulnerable, but you know, it's actually extremely healing to be vulnerable and to open yourself up. It really is. It really is. It's, It's a much worse place to keep it all inside. And I've done that my whole life. You know, I'm, I'm, queen of keeping things stuffed down um but it does feel so much better to like open it up let it out let it out yeah yeah and the people that are meant to be on your path will be Mm -hmm. and if people can't handle the truth of the situation or it's too heavy it wasn't for them right and you, I know you read in my book and I put it very clearly the people that walked out on me were never meant to be a part of my life at my toughest hours. Right. So you're right. The journey. It's very hard, but but it's true. And then that opens up space for... The people that are supposed to be there. Yes. Exactly. For sure. So everyone, please, once again, follow Kimberly on her Instagram. You can click the link right here while we're watching the podcast. I will be uploading this to Apple and Spotify. And you can listen to it over and over again. You can share it with friends and family. You can watch this podcast over and over again. It will be on my full page until tomorrow morning. And then it's moved over to IGTV. You can share it, rewatch it, relearn everything that Kimberly has opened up honestly and shared with us on this incredible journey of her life living with multiple sclerosis. But this incredible journey of her life, period. It's not just about MS. It's about your beautiful life's journey. And you opened up today and you were vulnerable and you shared your compassion and truth with us. And I am truly grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marie. I am very grateful to you. And uh, I love being here. Well, we're going to have to schedule another one. Yes. Absolutely. We have so much more to say. We have so much more to do. All right. We're scheduling another one for April. There we go. All right, Kimberly. Thank you so, so much. Um, I just got a text from my vet. Gaston is ready and they're closing. (laughs) Little Gaston. Gaston. uh, Hopefully he doesn't look too crazy. But uh, yeah, so I got to get over to to the groomers right now and pick up Gaston. And then I will upload everything as soon as I get home. So thank you so very much. Everybody, it's March Awareness Month. Please share your love. Show our warriors around the world that they are loved and that they are needed. And do not shun them. If you ever look down upon anybody, please 
put your arm out and raise them up and praise them and show them love and gratitude and compassion because when you are down and out and someone looks down upon you, I know that you will want the same thing. So share the love today. Absolutely. And they're fighting harder than you could ever imagine behind closed doors. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for watching Live with Marie. We will be back next week with three episodes and the week after that. And Live with Marie will be coming back every single Tuesday and Wednesday and every now and then a Thursday. So stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you. Mwah! Sending you love. Take care. Bye-bye, beautiful. Please follow and like this podcast, give us a thumbs up, and share it with your friends and family. This is Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month, and we need a cure for multiple sclerosis. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, from Domri Healthy and Fit, and from all the warriors around the world. Have a fabulous evening, and we will see you on the other side.